She's the kid on the beach with the sandcastle moat. She's the rain after a long drought. And we're two former students trying our best. This is the Soupbone Podcast. I'm Tiffany Siet. I'm Genevieve Marvin. And today we're talking about mental health. This is going to be a difficult one to talk about, I feel. It's hard to talk about mental health. Yeah, especially when you're, like, in some ways emotionally closed off, like me. And I feel like I'm not necessarily emotionally closed off because I really love talking and chatting. It's just I'm not the kind of person who, upon, like, first or second meeting, volunteers, like, my mental state, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's... Definitely changed for me. I used to be more closed off. And now I'm like, the second time you meet me, I'm talking about my trauma, which is not, you know, it's a bit questionable. <laughs> I think I think that's better, though. Like, you got to let all that stuff out early on. I'm not so sure about <laughs> that, but. <laughs> all right. Our first question is, um, what do we do to help ourselves and hurt ourselves? So when I think about uh, what I do to help myself. I think a lot about how this pandemic has been going for me. At the beginning of this pandemic, I didn't have any structure. I was really down about not having a job, being out of school, just really having nothing, living in my parents' home. And then I, through talking to my therapist and getting help, I realized that I needed to start a schedule for myself, which included waking up at 8, going to bed at 1130, every day, even though I didn't have to, you know, and exercising was a big part of what helped me. What helped you? Props to you for waking up early and going to bed early. I'm definitely not (laughs) there yet. Um, But I've also found that what helps me is like having certain elements of routine. And I feel like everyone has to like slowly figure out what routine means to them. So for me, the last couple of weeks, that's been like having a morning walk. And sometimes that morning walk is like walk is really long um like hours and then sometimes it's really short like 10 minutes but I've found that like I can visibly tell like when my body changes on a walk from like morning to like settling settling in and feeling grounded and that's a feeling that I feel like stays with me the rest of the day and I and and if I miss a walk I often find that if I feel frustrated and like go on a walk it suddenly is better for some reason um and it seems like such like uh, like a cliche thing that helps you, but I've really enjoyed it. Um, I think being outside helps me and like seeing other neighborhoods. Like I feel so stuck being in my parents' house. I feel very much like I'm in high school again. And I feel like a lot of people felt that way, but in high school, I've had very limited, um, movement around town. Like I would go to school and home and like very specific places. And so I feel more, like the adult self I am now when I walk um, to spaces that I wasn't walking to as a high school student or middle school student. I love that. Um, All right. What do we do to hurt ourselves, Genevieve? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is definitely difficult to talk about for sure. But I think part of realizing that you hurt yourself is you have to say it, Mm. right? Um, so I definitely sometimes uh, stay up way too late, like three o'clock in the morning, even though I set a schedule for myself, I don't end up following it. I'll like 
doom scroll on TikTok waste so many dumb hours looking at videos of people like opening toys mm -hmm. up for some reason. And other than that, I also have turned to alcohol in this time. <laughs> like I think two glasses of wine a night, every night is probably not the best. Um, and I realize it's not the best and I do it anyways. Well, I feel like part of hurting yourself is like A, realizing that you hurt yourself, but B, like giving yourself the mm -hmm. space sometimes to forgive yourself. Um, Cause like for me, when I like stay up too late or feel like I'm not like doing things, like I'm like, why am I staying at home and writing when other people are like out protesting and like starting social movements? Like what the hell am I doing? I start like that for me is a way of hurting myself by just feeling like guilt and shame. Like I feel like I grew up in an environment where um, like those were my predominant motivators, like just guilt and shame and like running away from that or like feeling, forcing guilt and shame on myself in order to do things. And like I'm realizing that that's not healthy or sustainable. So I feel like for me, a lot of um, like healing comes from recognizing where my hair comes from, but also like forgiving myself for doing that. Um, because if I don't, then I just feel more guilt and shame. Um, another way I feel like we were talking about, uh, how I started seeing a therapist, um, like a month or so ago. And it's like my first time trying to engage in mental health care. And like, I'm pro probably trying to wrestle with like some weird stigmas I have around it still, or like try and figure out like, is this working for me and which way, in what ways can this work for me? Um, so I'm working through that. A lot of going to therapy has been trying to heal my relationship with my family and my parents. Um, and that's like really hard work. I've found and like involves having a lot of uncomfy conversations. Um, I feel like a certain distance when I have those conversations because I like recognize that they're cathartic to me in a way. And I recognize now that my parents aren't like, um, like the ultimate authority. And that's like a transition I have to, I'm still working through. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's like hurting me necessarily because it's like, it's difficult and it's hard and it feels sort of hurtful sometimes when you're going through it, but I'm hoping there's some healing involved. Definitely starting therapy is a way to heal yourself in the end run, but it can definitely hurt at the same time. I think it all comes down to this place of avoidance of your problems one way or another. That's always what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to talk about like how we got into mental health care. For example, when I started looking for a therapist, I spent a week in like utter anxiety thinking about who do I go to? Do I need to go to the center or here? And what about insurance? How does that work? And it kept me up at night. Was it hard for you to just start getting mental health care? Or what was your experience? My experience was a little bit different um, because I got mental health care after a big health scare for me. And I wasn't able to look for anyone or um, figure out insurance. So my dad actually found a therapist for me and was like, by the way, you're going to therapy now. And I was like, cool. And now it's been two years <laughs> and it's been working. So it's a little bit different for me. And I feel like that is kind of hard because I've had friends say, at the same time, like, oh, you're going to therapy because you had a stroke. 
and I never had any big T trauma happen like that to me, so I don't need therapy, and I'm like, whoa, calm down. <laughs> Everyone needs therapy. I probably should have been going before this, long before this, and this just so happened to set me on the path to get help. Yeah, I felt much of the same way like that week where I was like, oh, I don't have big traumas or problems. Like, I don't, someone else needs this more than me. And I feel like that feeling comes from this continued stigmatization of mental health care. So I feel like people are much more accepting of, oh, like if you see a therapist or you see a counselor or you're undergoing some sort of therapy, that's awesome for you, but I don't need that. Like, I feel like that is often a perspective that I hear, like even from my parents. It was hard to tell them that I wanted to go to therapy, and I think it was especially hard for me to find a therapist while living at my parents' house because they come with their own opinions and stigmas around mental health care. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it comes back to avoidance. You, you think it's okay when other people go and see a therapist, but thinking about yourself seeing a therapist is something that your brain can't admit. You can't admit to needing help because why would anyone want to do that? Yeah. So that's really difficult, and I commend you for finding a therapist while with your parents. That must have been interesting. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, I think it worked out, though, so fingers crossed. Um, I'm interested in, since you've been going to therapy for a couple of years, like how your view of mental health care has like shifted or stayed the same from like when you started to now. Definitely it's shifted. I used to think that everyone didn't need to go to therapy, and now I've been, since I've been in therapy for so long, I've been able to look at other people and other people's problems really differently. I feel like I don't take everything as personally anymore because I'm able to see people acting in a way that they are showing their hurt, not by you or anything else, but they're hurt by something, something else. And that's definitely changed for me. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so healing. I want to get there. <laughs> One day. <laughs> I think we were earlier we were talking about how therapy like sort of fills in like a support network for us. I think this might be a good time to talk about the people we have around us and how mental health is kind of built not only with like direct relationships with like the healthcare system but also with the people around us. Um, so do you want to talk more about that? Sure yeah I feel like people should be able to talk to their family especially and their close friends about mental health and issues. Everyone's not okay all the time. And I think that there's a lot of stigma around saying that you're not good and you need help and asking for help or just talking about your problems. But at the same time, um, like we were, we were definitely talking about how some people feel that they're not being paid to like help others. And so they shouldn't have to listen. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's super one-sided for a friendship to have, to be like, oh yeah, I don't, I'm not being paid for this. Like you don't pay me. So I'm not listening. And that's, that's not good. Yeah. That's not good at all. Yeah, for sure. At the same time, like I do understand that unloading on like a third party or like a therapist is very different from like unloading on like my partner or like my parents because they are like emotionally invested and involved in a way that makes sometimes impedes like real solutions or like thinking and mindfulness. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's hard for you to talk about your problems with your family or with your partner yeah. when they're so involved in you and your life because their own emotions are really wrapped up in yours. Whereas a therapist, 
isn't they don't they want the best for you and they care about you but at the same time it's like they're not in your life like that yeah um one of the things I was really freaked out about or worried about when I was looking for therapist was like cultural competency and I and like living in a mostly white suburb like there aren't a lot of Asian American or Chinese American therapists around and at first I was like do I need to find like a Chinese American therapist and like will they immediately understand me Um, And I thought that was really important. Um, But actually what helped me think more about like, uh, like the relationship you have with your therapist was uh, Kathy Park Hong's Minor Feelings. It was just a book I happened to be reading at the time. The first essay is about her seeking mental health care. So Kathy Park Hong, um, for those of you don't know, is a poet and a Korean American. And this collection of essays is all about her relationship to Asian American identity. Um, and herself. And so this first essay, in this first essay, she's looking for a Korean American therapist in New York under her insurance. And there's like only one. She goes to see them and it's a terrible experience. And, um, and Kathy starts talking about how like, she had kind of like gone into looking for a therapist with this misconception that like, someone else Korean American would immediately understand everything about her just from her talking. And Reading that was helpful for me because it it reassured me that, like, you don't have to, like, place all these constraints on, like, the kind of person you're looking for. Um, but it was also reassured. It was also a good reminder that, like, not all Asian Americans are the same, even if you, like, want them to be so that they'll understand you. Um, so that was really helpful. And then there was a podcast of Feeling Asian, um, which is an awesome podcast, where they talked with a Korean American therapist and she talked about specific issues that come up a lot with her clients who are often um, second gen immigrants uh, or children of immigrants um, like me. And that was awesome to listen to. So I feel like support comes like not just from your therapist, not just from your friends, but like can also be in like my case, what you read or what you um, like the media even that you surround yourself with. Definitely, definitely. I feel that with media. Thinking about the podcast, Hey, Cool Life by Mary H.K. Choi. It's definitely been a big help for me. And actually, weirdly enough, the beginning of the podcast, My Favorite Murder, Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark has been helpful for me. Um, At the beginning, they talk for like an hour, half an hour about just different things. And there's always like a little section where they talk about mental health and like how they're doing and how they think about mental health because they've been in therapy for a long time. And it's been interesting to hear them hear them talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm surprised that a podcast called My Favorite Murder would have mental health. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's uh, all about murder and whatever. But the beginning part of it is them just talking like friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of talked about why we love Hey Cool Life. We're like, I'm, I'm definitely a new listener. Maybe you're still a listener. Mm-hmm. Um, but like... Well, the first episode I listened to was the one where Mary talks about um, not going to protests and, like, the guilt she feels about that and, like, all these thoughts about shame and visibility and activism. And it felt so needed for me to hear someone talk about and voice the insecurities that I had in an eloquent way and to just have someone like sort of reflect back at me what I was feeling. And she's so, she's so like honest and calming 
And you were talking about when she records, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, she says that she records first thing in the morning. That's like her first thoughts of the day. Maybe the podcast isn't, but I know that there was an episode where she talked about how what that's when she records her thoughts. And I was like, that's terrifying. I don't, A, I don't want to hear my voice that early in the morning. That's annoying. <laughs> and B, I think my first thought of every single day is what time is it right now? Always around eight. Like I said, I have a schedule for myself, but I never know. And that's it. And so it wouldn't be as interesting, I feel. Yeah, I think it would be an interesting experiment to record our thoughts at the beginning of the day and the end of the day and see how that shifts because we do change so much over the course of the day. Yeah, yeah. maybe we should do that. Maybe. I mean, I feel like the only thing I record is um, I started recording my dreams over quarantine. Um, and so I have a lot of voice memos that are just like my sleepy voice talking about some like weird, wild thing or like sometimes some like really mundane thing but I am realizing that some of my dreams are just really wacky and that's why I love recording them (laughs) that sounds awesome another thing we wanted to talk about is how we can be kind to ourselves and what helps us um do you want to talk a little bit about um learning about what a catch-up period is Yeah, so something that my therapist and I talked about recently and have been talking about and will talk about in the future is this uh, period of catch-up between what you're doing and the way your brain is affected by it. I feel like we come from a generation of instant satisfaction, for sure. I want to drop 10 pounds the minute I start working out. I want to be immediately better when I read a new book or, you know, something like that. But there is like a couple of weeks where even if you're doing the right things, even if you're going to bed at 11, waking up at eight, running every day, you're not mentally going to feel it for a little while. I think of it like as muscles grow, it doesn't happen in a day. It happens with persistence of work and your brain is a muscle after all, maybe not. It isn't a muscle, but (laughs) your brain is its own type of muscle. So It needs to be worked on in the same way. That's so true. And I feel like that metaphor hit hard for me because I started um, weightlifting with my boyfriend and seeing him like build muscle and build strength over months and months and seeing the patience and diligence it requires. There's really, there's definitely like a catch up period and that patience needed for gradual changes. Um, So, yeah, I think we need to be kinder to ourselves in that way. And also be kind when we, like, don't do what we planned or wanted Mm -hmm. to do. Um, And I guess that's easier to say and harder to do. But things that help me are actually, like, trying to turn outward and see, like, what generosity I can give to the people around me. Like, how are my parents doing? What is my sister doing? Is there a way I can, like, improve their day in some small way? Like, I've been... I've been driving my sister to school on the days that she has school. And whether she should be going to school in person is a whole (laughs) different can of worms. Um, Or like asking my mom about her day. And I'm I'm trying to be mindful and notice when people like give, show me the same, show me care also. Um, And I feel like that makes me a kinder person. Do you want to talk about how you view being a friend to someone else? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I was telling Genevieve that, like, early in college, I, there was, like, this awkward moment where I realized that most of my friends didn't know I was in this, like, long-term relationship. Like, they didn't know about my personal life, and they didn't know what my family was like, or that I had sisters. Um, And that was sort of uncomfy, because it made me confront the fact that I don't open up about my personal life in friendships uh, very often. Um, And so, in the last couple months, I've tried to be... I, I've, I've, I've done like really awkward things sometimes where I try to open up to friends where I'm like, oh, we just watched this really emotional movie about family. Do you want to like hop on a call and talk about our families? <laughs> and I, I've definitely done that. And it's been it's been awkward. But so many times it's been cathartic and healing and and so welcome to hear that the people I'm friends with also think about like their emotional state and their families and their personal lives and to the depth that I do and I think I just before I thought oh you know I want like smart friends who talk about like books only (laughs) and and then later I realized like oh that's not healthy like you need to be able to have friends that understand your personal life not just your boyfriend who understands your personal life so you can talk to them about it um and so that's definitely a work in progress for me um, but I'm enjoying it so far. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I can say as your friend, people, I want to be your friend. I want to help. You know, I feel like that's definitely a lesson I had to learn the hard way. I'm someone who really likes to do things by myself. I like to have things get done by myself. I like to finish projects, do the whole thing. I'm not much of a group person. And it took me a while and a couple of a couple of really good friends to be like, listen, I want to help you. It's hurting me that you won't let me help you. So just let me in. And I was like, mm, you can't come in. <laughs> uh, I'm glad it's going better. Um, how do you feel like you try to be a friend nowadays? I try to listen. I feel like everyone wants to be listened to when they're talking. Yeah. So that's mainly what I do to be a friend, listen, help where I can, but mostly just listen. That's so needed. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Nothing that I can think of other than be kind to yourself and just be kind. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. All right, Genevieve, do you want to show us out with a poem? Yes. um, This is The Conditional by Ada Limon. Say tomorrow doesn't come. Say the moon becomes an icy pit. Say the sweet gum tree is petrified. Say the sun's a foul black tire fire. Say the owl's eyes are pinpricks. Say the raccoon's a hot tar stain. Say the shirt's plastic ditch litter. Say the kitchen's a cow's corpse. Say we never get to see it, bright future. Stuck like a bum star, never coming close, never dazzling. Say we never meet her, never him. Say we spend our last moments staring at each other, hands knotted together, clutching the dog, watching the sky burn. Say it doesn't matter. Say that would be enough. Say you'd still want this, us alive, right here, feeling lucky. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Soup Bone Podcast. 
This podcast is a project of Soupbone, a humanities collective. You can learn more about Soupbone at soupbonecollective.com. This episode was edited by me, Tiffany Sia. Our audio engineer is Damon Pham, and our theme music was written with the help of Alec Belcher. Today's weather is the warm licks of the last tendrils of summer. <laughs>